This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to a couple of openings of Scripture. We've been using Genesis chapter 1 as kind of a um, golden text, if you will. So we'll start there, but then also turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1. We have been teaching a series on uh, spiritual dominion for the last uh, number of weeks. I don't know how long we've been going now, but we've got another couple of weeks to go before we conclude the series. And uh, as I said, we've used Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 as our golden text, if you will. At the creation um, uh, of this present earth, this age, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the, upon the earth. So God created them in his image. Um, without question, without dispute. Now, I, I, I probably should qualify and make a couple of comments about this. Because it is without question. The Bible is so very clear on this that, that you have to just either not read it or not think to, to fail to recognize God created man to have dominion and authority on the earth. God created man to have dominion over all the earth. Well, we know that's not the way that it turned out. It's the way that it started. But when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, Satan became the God of this world. Second Corinthians 4.4 4 says that Satan is now the God of this world. That means that Satan took the authority that, had, that uh, God had given mankind through Adam and Eve. God didn't plan for Satan to have any authority here on the earth. As a matter of fact, one of the uh, uh, stipulations or instructions, that, the few instructions that God gave Adam and, uh, and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he said, dress and keep the garden. King James says, dress and keep. Literally, those words are garden protect. So he knew. And as a result, Satan, the fallen being without any authority became the rebel holder of authority on the earth. He became what the Bible refers to as the God of this world. Now, everything that Satan has authority over here on the earth was stolen from man. And Jesus came to restore man to that place of authority. Now, again, I guess I should qualify that. There was no sickness. There was no disease here on the earth. So it's not like man had authority over sickness and disease because it didn't exist. Sickness and disease only came into being after sin and death began to dominate the world. But Jesus came with authority over sickness and disease. And he transferred or or delegated that authority that he had over sickness and disease to his disciples that followed him here on the earth. And then later to the church when he was raised from the dead. Now, if uh, if you found also Ephesians chapter 1, let's uh, point out some of the things that Paul prayed regarding the prayer that the Holy Spirit inspired him to pray for the church. He said in verse 16, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That means he's praying this all the time, doesn't it? Cease not means pray all the time. That the Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, here's his prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding, another translation says the eyes of your spirit, being enlightened or opened. That you would know. And then he's going to talk about three things that he wants us to know. Please notice that Paul is inspired by the Holy Ghost not to pray that the church would have something they don't have. But they would see what they do have. 
See, the Bible says that we're complete in him. The Bible says that we're complete in Christ Jesus. Well, if we're complete, that means we've got everything that we need. Our prayers to God that he would give us something we don't have are wasted prayers. You've got everything that there is. The Bible says that you've been blessed already. You've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You have everything within you, within your spirit, in contact with the creator of the universe that you will ever need. If we would come to realize that God meets our needs from within, it would serve us well. So much of the church is looking for God to do something from the outside. What's he going to do? Is he going to bring Jesus back to hang on the cross for a little bit longer? To cover your situation or to cover mine? What's he going to do? Well, we just thought that God would just change the circumstances. The Bible says that you're supposed to change the circumstances through your faith. Well, we just thought God would take care of the devil for us. The Bible tells you to take care of the devil. Well, I don't know, Pastor Mike. We just thought God would do something. Which is where most Christians are. They don't have a clue. They're just looking for God to do something. Folks, God did something when he sent Jesus. So Paul prays that the church would have their spiritual eyes opened. That revelation would come. That we would know who we are in Christ. Notice what he said, that you would know what is the hope of his calling. Now, I believe that means a couple of things. I believe that means, number one, what God has done for us through Jesus, but specifically what God has called you as an individual to do in life. God's got a specific plan for you. It's different from his specific plan for me, but God wants us both to know what his plan is. Secondly, he said, he wants us to know through this revelation, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? In other words, what belongs to us because of Jesus going to the cross and being raised from the dead. Notice how he describes those. The riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints or in the saints. Doesn't sound like there's any shortage in that. None whatsoever. Thirdly, verse 19, and what is... The exceeding greatness of his power. Notice he's not praying that you'd have power, but that you'd know what the power is. That you would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his power. Now he's going to describe what power he's talking about according to the working of his power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now, I made, if you were with us last Sunday, you may recall that uh, in verse, um, verse 19, the description of power is used, um, Paul uses four different Greek words to describe the power of God. Four characteristics, different characteristics of power to identify the power that raised Jesus from the dead. The significance of that is very simply this. It's saying that when God raised Jesus from the dead, there was a greater display of power than any other thing that we have recorded in in, uh, Scripture. In other words, God used more power to raise Jesus from the dead than he used to create the universe. Now notice what it's for to us who believe. To us who believe. In other words, it's saying the same power, 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 power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power, 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 power that's in you because of his resurrection. 
This is what he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21 tells you where heavenly places are. Far above. Everybody say far above. That means more than a little bit above. Right? Far above. Now, the, the, um, uh, the terminology that is used here is a little blind in the, in the uh, English language. We think of far as being, you know, either it's, something's either near or something's either, something's either near or far. But that's not what these Greek words mean. Far above literally means it is so far above it shouldn't be compared. That's what these words mean. It means it is so beyond principalities, powers, minds, and dominion that they really sh- aren't in the same class. They really shouldn't even be talked about or compared in the same sentence. That's what far above means. Far above all principality and might and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. That's where Jesus is. But don't just stop reading there. Keep going. Verse 22. And when God raised him and seated him in his own right hand, he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Now, let me... Twist these words around a little bit to to give greater meaning. At least it does to me. And has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head to the church over all things. The point is not that Jesus is the head over all things. The point is that Jesus is the head and the church is the body and have both been raised above all things or over all things. In other words, the all things would include everything that Satan took from, from uh, Adam in the Garden of Eden to become the God of this world. Every bit of authority, every bit of power, every bit of whatever the devil has here on this earth, Jesus stripped him of and then sat down at the right hand of the Father to be the head of the church. Yeah, but that's just Jesus. I'm so glad that Jesus has that authority. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 23, talking about the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Notice chapter 2, verse 1. Paul did not write in chapter and verse. He's writing about the same thing. He said, and you hath he quickened. In other words, the same verb that he's talking about that raised Jesus from the dead in verse 20 is the verb that's talking about raising you or quickening you, making you alive just like he made Jesus alive. Paul is saying the same action of being made alive, the same action of being quickened, the same action of being raised up together with Christ took place at the same moment for you that it did for him. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Skip down to verse 6. The rest of it talks about what we were before we were saved and so forth. Verse 6, and has raised us up together with him and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, folks, if we're seated together with Christ and the Bible says Christ is seated in the place of authority, where are you sitting? Now, certainly this is talking about position. I don't know about you, but physically I'm not at the right hand of God the Father. But positionally I am. I have the same position at the right hand of the Father that you do, that Jesus does. The only difference is Jesus is in heaven taking care of things from there. He left us here to take care of things here. But positionally, we have exactly the same place. 
because he's the head and we're the body. That doesn't mean we're equal on equal terms. He's got a higher place in the church, in God's organization than we do. But we're still part of the same body. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened. Because behind you is the cross and on the cross Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now, if these things are true, then we ought to see the same things written to other churches that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, shouldn't we? Well, let's see. Paul, let's start in verse 9, chapter 1 of Colossians in verse 9. Paul said, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. That sounds familiar. But what are you praying for the Colossians for, Paul? And to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Isn't that the same thing you said to the church at Ephesus, just using different terminology? The eyes of your spirit being enlightened. That God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, would give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He's saying the same thing, isn't he? A little different way to phrase it, but it's the same thing. That you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In other words, he's saying that you'd live out what you know that you have. Verse 11, strengthened with all might. He talked about the power to know the exceeding greatness of his power to the Ephesians. Here he's talking about strengthened with all might. Well, that's power, isn't it? According to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet or able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, folks, every Christian is made able to partake of that inheritance. The riches of the glory of the inheritance, as Paul talked about to the Ephesians. Every Christian, every believer, everybody that makes Jesus the Lord of their life is made able to partake of that inheritance. And whether or not you do is the choice of the individual. But everybody can. See, here's one thing that I think has happened. We'll stumble upon somebody every now and then that, that uh, begins to operate in their authority. And the church looks at them like they are some special person. The church looks at them like they've got some special gift from God, that they have some special place of favor with God, that they have some special power that that nobody else has, or something along that line. When the fact is they've just chosen to be a partaker of the inheritance. See, folks, spiritual laws work just as real as natural laws. And if you understand how to harness 
the laws of nature, you can utilize them. Electricity existed long before man ever discovered it. But once he's discovered it, once somebody, something happened to get somebody thinking along the lines of electricity, then he began to experiment. And he found through experimentation that there were certain laws that governed electricity. Well, would God make things like that work physically or naturally here on the earth and not be just as consistent when it comes to spiritual laws that will last forever when the earth won't? See, spiritual laws are just as consistent, they're just as concise, they're just as orderly as natural laws. And if we find out the rules that govern those things, then we can operate them. Are you out there? Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, under all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us able to be partakers of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness. Notice these things have already been done. Who hath delivered us, past tense, hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath, past tense, translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, what is the kingdom of his dear son? What is the kingdom of Jesus? Whatever it is has to include being seated at the right hand of God the Father, doesn't it? Whatever it is has to include the authority that he has because he is seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. We know that Jesus, when he was raised from the dead in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, appeared to the, the uh, disciples and said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. So whatever the devil had, Jesus took the authority from him. The word power there is literally authority. He's not saying I have every ounce of ability in heaven and earth. He's saying I have authority over everything in heaven and earth. There are other powers out there. The devil does have power. But Jesus said that he had been given authority over all the devil's power, and he transferred that to you. He immediately said, go therefore into the world. He said in Mark 16, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. And he talked about it. He talked about authority over sickness and disease. He talked about authority over the devil. He talked about divine protection and so forth. So whatever kingdom of his dear son is being referred to here has to include the authority that he was get that he gained when he was raised from the dead and delegated back to the church wouldn't it who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have past tense it's present i mean it's a current thing it's already been done so it's a present possession of ours in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of God, image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus, the firstborn of every creature? For by him, the firstborn doesn't mean Jesus was here on the earth first. It means he preceded any created being. Because he's eternal. He's part of the deity, the trinity, the Godhead. For by him were all things created. Jesus was the creating agent when God made the earth. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist and he is the head of the body, the church. 
who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Notice he's got a greater place of importance, a greater place of priority because he was the first. He's the head. But that's the only distinction it makes between Jesus and you. I don't mind giving Jesus a preeminent position because of what he gained and what he, uh, what he conquered. Do you? But that's the only distinction that the Bible ever makes between you and him. You have the same authority. He gave it to you. He conquered. He won it. He gave it to you. You have the same position. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So are you. You have the same commission. Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also. Even greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. What's the difference? Folks, if there's a difference, it's in our thinking, not in reality. For it pleased the Father, verse 19, that in him should all fullness dwell. That means it's full to the brim. That means there's nothing lacking. What would we need from God that he hasn't already provided? Now, folks, I'm not saying these things to make somebody think that they're self-sufficient. I'm saying these things to, to cause us to realize that the Bible talks about the fact that all things have been delivered to us already. So it's a matter of taking hold of what's ours, not begging God to do something that hasn't yet been done. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, that would have to include the devil's authority, wouldn't it? Because isn't that what the devil took from Adam? Authority and dominion here on the earth? Isn't that what makes Satan the god of this world? You see where this is going. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Skip down with me to chapter 2. Let's start reading in verse 8. Here's the conclusion of what Paul is saying. Just as, we, just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so are we. He said, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. One translation says through philosophy and vain deceit. Instead of that, it says through religious teachings. Well, I think that one applies. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments or elements of the world and not after Christ. One translation says instead of rudiments, experience in the world. In other words, Paul, way back when, 2,000 years ago, recognized that the devil was trying to talk people out of who they were in Christ and what belonged to them. And he said, don't let anybody do that. The devil uses people through wrong teaching to try to keep you from taking hold of the place that you have in Christ. Keep you from walking in the authority that's been given to you already. Don't let that happen. Well, if that warning was good then, wouldn't it be good now? I mean, if men were supposed to listen to what Paul said back then, shouldn't we listen to what he says about that now? I would submit to you that's the greatest attack against the church. 
teachings and doctrines of men that keep the church from standing and, and operating in the place of authority that Jesus has already won for us. That's why the church is so weak, broken down, and has the appearance of being crippled. When all the time we've got the power that raised Jesus from the dead available to us and in us. So he said, don't let that happen. For in him, verse 9, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. For in him, and you're in him, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Again, here's this word fullness or completeness. There's nothing missing. There's nothing lacking. Folks, that means that there's some area of the word that hasn't come to pass or come into reality for you and me. It's because one of two things is either because we haven't exercised our authority or because it's just a matter of our faith bringing it to pass. That's the only option. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. That means he's far above it or over it, doesn't it? And you're complete in him. So if he's the head and he's above all principality and power, where are you? Above all principality and power. That means you are already seated above every work that the devil is trying to bring against you in your life. That means it simply becomes a matter of taking and exercising authority. Standing in and operating in authority. In whom you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism wherein you also are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being, once you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he now quickened together with him, having forgotten, forgiven you all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. That's a lot of fancy King James English saying, you were dead and Jesus made you alive. You were buried with him in baptism. Now you're made alive with him through his resurrection. Verse 15, and having spoiled, because Jesus went to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. One translation says, in his resurrection. Triumphing over him in his resurrection. Now, the spoiling is a little different for us because we're not familiar with the culture that, of the day that this was written in. In Paul's day, there were kings of countries that would war against other kings and, and uh, the, the victorious king would spoil the other king and his army. In other words, they would strip them of all of their possessions, everything that they, everything that they owned, and including the boundaries or the territories of the lands in which they lived. So when it says Jesus spoiled principalities and powers, that literally means he stripped them of their authority. He took back... Not for himself. He doesn't need it. He's not here. But he took back everything that that, uh, Satan stole from Adam. He took back everything that makes the devil the god of this world for his body. One of the great unknowns in the church world is the authority that Jesus delivered to the church. He gave us authority in His name over sin, sickness, poverty, 
and every aspect of spiritual death. He's seated at the right hand of God as the proof that we have that authority in His name. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. God created you to have dominion. And so there's something on the inside of man that cries out for that restored dominion that he lost in the Garden of Eden. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.